Hello everyone, Al here. Just a quick note before we start the episode. So in case this is your first episode of the show, well, first of all, welcome and thank you for downloading. However, you made a slight mistake. Steve, this is episode 117B. This is the second half of episode 117. So you want to go back and download episode 117A because that's the first half of the episode. The first half of our discussion about this, including the first half of the synopsis telling you what happened. Okay, we're going to get started in a minute, and it's going to go right into the synopsis for the remainder of the issue, so you know what parts we're talking about now, and then a promo real quick, and then into the discussion. Also, just want you to know, because this episode was recorded a while ago, before we did episode 115, where we did covered Marvel Team Up 55, and we so I didn't realize at the time that The Stranger already had a gem as shown in that issue. And it's also before Brian and I did episode 111, where we covered the Eternals Secrets from the Marvel Universe reprint one-shot, which covered the retconned origin of the Titans and the Eternals. Okay, that's everything. Avengers Annual Number 7, written by Jim Starlin, art by Jim Starlin on breakdowns, and Joe Rubenstein, finished art, full art by Jim Starlin on page 30. Colors, Petra Goldberg, letters, Tom Roshofsky, editor, Archie Goodwin, cover art by Jim Starlin and John Costanza, cover price, 60 cents, cover dated 1977, on sale date, August 3rd, 1977. You can find this reprinted many places, some of which we mentioned last episode, including Marvel Gold, Warlock La Menzia de Thanos, a 2012 Spanish reprint, Avengers vs. Thanos, a 2013 trade paperback, Avengers Epic Collection No. 9, The Final Threat, a 2013 trade paperback, Warlock by Jim Starlin, The Complete Collection, a 2014 trade paperback, Marvel Masterworks, Captain Marvel, Volume 5, from 2014. There's a Russian reprint, which I cannot pronounce. Well, it's not that I can't pronounce it. I can only find the name written in Cyrillic, so I have no idea how to pronounce it, from 2014. By the way, if anyone speaks Russian, please go look that up on comics.org and tell me how to pronounce it. I would love to know. Marvel Gold, La Saga de Thanos, a 2018 Spanish reprint. And Marvel Comics Digest Number 6, from 2018. Adam fills in the Avengers on Thanos' backstory, how he comes from the paradise world Titan, fell in love with death, and left his planet, only to come back and bombard it with nuclear bombs, killing many, including his own mother. How he went out into space to form his own army and increase his own personal power through bionics and mysticism. He then went after the Cosmic Cube, but was defeated by Captain Marvel. He survived that defeat, but was abandoned by his love. Looking for a way to regain her favor, he found it in a scroll from a dead world, the Soul Gems. 
he managed to find or steal five of them. But the sixth, Adam's own gem, he feared, as it had the power to actually steal souls. He instead posed as an ally to Adam against Amagus, in order to get close enough to siphon off enough of the gem's energy for his own purposes. He put those energies and the five gems he already had into a large synthetic gem. Gamora had found out his plan by then and tried to stop him, but he killed her. Adam found Gamora just before she died and took her soul into his gem, which is how he knows everything. He now knows what she did, including Thanos' plan to blow out every star in the universe. Meanwhile, Pip the Troll shows up at Thanos' ship, bored and looking for company. However, Thanos no longer needs to pretend that he is an ally, and our favorite troll is in deep trouble. Back on Earth, the Avengers receive a call from the Starcore space station. They have detected a massive alien armada headed for Earth. The Avengers and Captain Marvel head out to stop them, though Adam Warlock has disappeared. Out in space, Thor and Iron Man deal with the armada, while the rest of the team heads to Thanos' ship to deal with him. On board, they deal with a small army. Quite well. Too well for Captain Marvel's liking. He manages to find the comatose body of Pip the Troll, completely lobotomized, and a grieving Adam Warlock. Adam takes Pip's soul into the gem, and now he knows where Thanos is, since he told Pip. Adam and Marvel head out of Thanos' ship, which was just a decoy, to his actual ship on the other side of the sun. They see Thanos use his gem to blast the sun, but before it can be destroyed, Marvel flies in and using his own body as a battering ram, destroys the projector the gem was powering. Marvel is knocked out by his actions, leaving Adam Warlock to face Thanos alone, and in this battle, Adam is mortally wounded. Thanos turns to get his replacement projector, but by then Thor and Iron Man have shown up. While Thor battles the Mad Titan, Iron Man destroys the synthetic gem. Unable to now continue with his plan, Thanos teleports away, swearing vengeance. Captain Marvel has now come to, and witnesses one of the strangest sights of his life. A healthy Adam Warlock, standing in front of the dying Adam Warlock. The healthy Adam takes the dying Adam's soul into his gem, and vanishes, leaving our Adam dead. Inside the soul gem, Adam finds Pip and Gamora, as well as other friends and foes that have been taken into the gem. All of them are together in paradise. Maybe. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. Now we get it. Now it's time for recap. Adam Warlock presents what has come before. And we get a, a one of Starlin's patented. At this point, we've seen him do this 
more times than I than I think I remember this this sort of a uh, uh, big re quick recap of everything we've seen before. Yeah, and this is also one of the time. This is from my memory from what we've done on the show. The most he's called out to the fact that the woman that Thanos had with him by his side the whole time during the Cosmic Cube saga was Death. Because if you remember, Brian, it was never outwardly said that it's Death. That's true. That and is here's true. And the, here's the closest on these panels here. They don't. He doesn't actually even say exactly it's Death, but it's pretty obvious from what it's from how it's said. Well, he says it. He says it in this recap very uh, uh, explicitly. Death's abandoning him due to the Avengers' victory that day was almost more than the Titan could bear. You he know, says he has he has a love for his namesake, an alliance with his namesake. Yes. Oh, you're right. Is, you're right. On the next page, it says death. You're right. Yeah, specifically. Yeah. Oh. And uh, now, um, but now I'm wondering because again, I lost the thread after uh, Captain Marvel. Um, defeated uh thanos that 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 first time all of this stuff with the with the uh gems and his uh building the gems into the large synthetic gem that uh john wilson so covets (laughs) i do uh i'm wondering if uh if now did that, that happen in the warlock issues or is that is that sort of new information he's he's backfilling here new information okay we did not see any of that the cosmic cube stuff we saw if you remember from captain marvel mm-hmm. thanos being found and brought back you know by a ship we really won't actually see you know we don't see except for here and in that one thanos annual that came out several years ago that we did way back in like episode 12 or 13 mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you remember and then the whole thing about him just learning about the uh, the soul gems and everything and looking for the other gems that's all brand new information. I, ah. I, I get the feeling that it's the sort of thing that would have been done in the Warlock series had there been further Warlock series. Yeah, that was probably the machinations he was planning on Thanos doing. Because they were just hinting that there even were... Uh, did they hint at multiple soul gems? Yes, remember, it, it's uh, issue 15. I am When Adam is going into the soul gem to try and talk to it or figure out what it is. And it says, I am one of the six. My That's mother right. was a star. My father was something else. So he was just hinting at getting to this part of the story whenever he left Warlock. And this is possibly the story he would have crafted. Yeah, maybe over several issues, but yes. What I do like is now, how elegant. I had ex- always been under the. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I was just going to say, I do like how My audio elegant gets out. his explanation He then explains, I found her just before she died. I took her soul into myself with this, and that, and now I know everything she knows. That's pretty elegant, and I like that. And that's the part, John, where we find out, it says here, um, his young assistant Gamora, who had recently escaped from a being called a Destroyer, dis- discovered her master's plan. Okay. So that's basically, I mean, that's all we get about the whole thing with Drax and her, but at least it's, you know, it t- give, lets us know that she got away from him somehow. At least that, that dangling plot thread is acknowledged that, yes, you don't know it, but there was a resolution to that. Yeah. And then she comes back and tries to kill Thanos. And when she comes back and finds out, she tries to kill Thanos. And that's when he kills her. At some point during my adult exploration of the Infinity Stones concept, Infinity Gems concept, I had come under the impression that they existed in comics before Thanos gathered them, that they belonged to people 
and that like we could have seen them. Um, it was this reading of this comic that I realized that was not the case. He just retroactively said, no, no, so this person had this one and this person had that one. And the only one that we really know is the stranger. Yeah. And well, no, and the gardener. Cause that's from, that's a reference to Marvel. Oh Team crap. Yeah. Marvel team that had the gardener in it. So, but I don't know if we ever saw the strange. Well, we knew what the stranger was. He had appeared before, obviously he appeared way back in what? X-Men 11, 11. 12, 11. Thank you. But, um, I don't know if we ever saw the stranger with the gem. We might, we might not. It might just be convenient enough to go, yeah, the stranger has one of those. Why not? I'm pretty sure Dead of 4 is a specifically named Star Trek world. Huh. I want to say that I know Jean Bore from somewhere, but I couldn't tell you where. I don't know if any, yeah, I had no idea any of those were anything. Not that it matters. We can keep on going. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, so yeah, so now they're all, so now everybody's up to speed. And uh, I just have one thought I have real quick is this is also a lovely little bit of implication here um, and reminder, I guess, of Thanos's character and everything, because in the in the recap here, we see Gamora trying to kill Thanos. Right. And every this is a fully full building technological. They're around banks of computers and all of that. He then turned and slew her. Now, remember, when Warlock found her, the entire place had been laid waste. It's not like she was lying dead in a uh, otherwise intact technological building. She was lying close to death in the bombed out looking ruins of an entire city. So Mm -hmm. this is sort of to me, this sort of fills in by implication. Yeah. And when he gets pissed off, he tends to overreact in really apocalyptic ways. Yeah, well, yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, and real quick, I just... I didn't do much research just now. I just literally typed in Deneb4 and uh, what other guy's name was? Zim- Zimbor? Zimbor, yeah. In just Google search. Nothing came up for Jimbor or Jimbo, whatever his name is. But <laughs> Deneb4 does have Star Trek wikis coming up, so it is a Star Trek reference. Yes. Uh, they mentioned it in the, actually both uh, series pilots, where No Man Has Gone Before from the original series and Encounter at Farpoint in Next Generation. Oh, okay. for. All right. So um, we get a little hint of love between Warlock and Gamora, or at least from Warlock for Gamora, mm-hmm. which I don't think was ever expressed in the comics. But I kind of love the way that he handles the question now because they ask her, you know, she looks like she must. She sounds like she must have meant a lot to you. He's like, no, she might have had there been more time. But now such thoughts will be narcissism. Sometimes when you're talking about somebody who's gone and you're talking about what they would have wanted, sometimes you're just talking about what you want. Yeah. And my my question now, sorry, let me interrupt. That's all. That's all I was saying is I was agreeing. And I'm wondering if it's that or the fact that because she's in the soul gem and now like he has her thoughts, is that because she's there and with him? Like this is completely narcissistic because all of Gamora, all of that is Gamora is inside my soul gem in me. So what's the difference between me and her at this point? Hmm. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's how he knows all this information. He had because Gamora's soul is in his soul gem. That's how he knows this. So it so, could go either way. It could be either way, honestly. So now and now, of course, we get the we, we get straight up told that the big baddies plans is to 
blow every star out of the heavens as a love offering to his would-be girlfriend, Death. That is one... That is... That is a far cry from, my God, he's going to rob the jewels at the art museum or whatever, you know, which <laughs> once upon a time would have been the, 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 the motivator of the plot. Now we're to, he's blowing up every star in the universe to woo death, romantically speaking. It didn't work for Star Thief, but it'll work for me, I'm sure. <laughs> that's just, that's, that's some crazy, that's some crazy pants, man. You're, you're right, it's, it's different, I mean... It's a different level of threat than, you know, you certainly in Marvel Comics that were covering Make Cars Marvel 1964. I mean, different than Pacepot Pete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's different than Pacepot Pete trying to be Spider Man. It's different. I mean, possibly the biggest threat we've had in that story, in those stories, is like Namor conquering the surface world or Kang. He shows up and says he wants to conquer the present day, but. He's just a dude in an undersea water helmet standing outside of a ship. There's not a whole lot of actual threat perception there. Well, we did have Galactus. You haven't gotten there yet. So yeah, Galactus is probably the by far biggest thing up to that point. But this is oh, bigger I see than what that. You're I see yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Maybe the biggest would be um at that point would be the original Masters of Evil. I mean, granted, they just glued everybody in, you know, yeah. glued everybody down in New York City. But still, I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, what if you're stuck in your apartment? How do Dude, you get you out? Totally- you're totally selling the red ghost in his ape's short. Loki turned cars into ice cream. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Pip. Yes. Two things on this page. One, Pip remembered to put on the boots that keep him from floating all over. If you remember, John, from the when they first went to Thanos' ship and Pip's floating all over, and Thanos is like, put these on. Oh, wow. That's an that's a interesting bit of random continuity. Yep. Yeah, but also didn't realize until this time of reading this issue. The second panel on this page will actually be imp- will actually be a clue later on, where it says a landing is made atop the por- its port section and docking procedures are completed smoothly. Mm-hmm. That's a we'll clue. Get- uh, I'll tell you what I'll tell you when we get to that later. Ooh, just okay. remember that. Ooh, Alice foreshadowing. I but like yeah, it. I like this whole thing of Pip like, "Where is everybody? Hello, I'm bored." I and he's just I hang talking out. to himself. Is somebody flying Pip's shuttle? Is that how it's able to land smoothly? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's called autopilot. So he's looking for all of his friends. He does not know that Gamora is dead. And he does not know that he's about to also be dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now there's I've... one hell of a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is fantastic. And the smile. The smile on 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 Thanos' face in that first panel is fantastic. Yeah, it's like, this is not a smile you want to see directed at you. Yeah, yeah. And that um, that bottom panel is probably one of the most, like, modern-looking rendered versions of Thanos' face yes. we've ever seen. I mean, that's yeah. that's a great-looking Thanos and very consistent with the way he looks, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and very, like, you are screwed, Pip. You are mm-hmm. screwed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm just, like, looking at the line work on Thanos. Yeah, no, really nice... Really nice work there. And then we get a a cameo appearance from, I don't know who this is, but in my mind, he's super Dr. Astronaut Peter Corbeau. Oh, yeah. Always. If he says Star Wars, it's got to be Peter Corbeau. 
I actually just encountered a much earlier. He's been around for a while in the Marvel Universe. Earlier this week, my uh, my comic book reading was the uh, Hulk Heart of the Atom trade paperback, which collects the uh, 1970s spanning saga of the Hulk and his tragic doomed love for uh, Princess Jarella of the Microverse. It's good stuff, really good stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm very much enjoying reading it. And in an issue from, it had to have been early 1972, I believe, they're, they're trying to find a way to cure Bruce Banner of being the Hulk, and General Ross uh, engages the services of Dr. Corbeau and his newfangled uh, Star Corps space station uh, at, that, at that time. And it, it turns out that, that Corbeau was all too willing to help because he was Banner's old college roommate. I didn't know oh, that. Wow. So I encountered him in a much earlier iteration, but it's always been Dr. Corbeau and Star Corps. And I believe he comes. He he becomes pretty important uh, around this time when it comes to uh, uh, the X Men as well. But that's a separate story. Yeah, that's where the uh, Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau title comes from. Is the Jay and Miles explain the X Men podcast where they talked about those X Men stories ah. uh, because Corbeau does many things. It does all of them well. Um, <laughs> and I knew the name Jarella. I did not realize that was the kind of story she's involved in. Because yeah. you know who MCU Jarella is. No. no, there was one. MCU Jarella is the uh, pink girl in Star Lord's ship at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy One. Oh, you're kidding me! Oh, dude. Oh, wow. That's kind of wrong, actually. <laughs> that I, that's kind of rude, there, James Gunn. I thought that was the uh, alien from. Uh, maybe it's the same. Maybe maybe the name. Maybe just use the visual for her and the name. Because I thought that was supposed to be the alien from the Rampaging Hulk magazine. Where it was revealed that the, the stories in there, because they were so out of continuity, were just an alien doing Hulk movies. No, I mean, maybe, no, no. The, I know who you're talking about. She, that that lady, oh, I forget her name now. Because uh, that's, I've also been da- dipping into those. She becomes very prominent during the Mantlo, uh, the, yes. the early 80s Mantlo run on the Hulk. Um, where, where, yeah, she, but the, that's she's not Jarella. Jarella is green skinned and blonde and rules the city in the microverse uh, when the Hulk accidentally gets sent there. And it's again, very, very good story. Um, highly recommended if you ever have the uh, chance to read it. Uh, really sort of deepened the Hulk's character and made it a much more interesting book after years and years and years of, you know, simple. Hulk just wants to be left alone. Why won't soldiers stop hounding Hulk kinds of stories? Oh, Barit. That's her name. Barit. Barit. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, you no, know no. what? You know what? You are right. That is Barit. I got the R. Okay, yeah. It's Barit in the ship. Oh, it is Barit. Okay, I thought maybe they just used the name Jarella in the visual for Barit. Oh. Because I know who Jarella is. Because my first Hulk issue I ever read was uh, 202, I think. Cause he's fighting, fighting like giant warthogs. Yes. Yes, the Warthos yes. of the microverse. Yeah, really good stuff. Anyway, that, the that's those are Warthogs without the G. <laughs> Pretty much, it's so stupid, but I mean, you know, I still, I still enjoyed the crap out of them, which just goes to show that when you know you're you're, you're giving me a really, really good story, you know, it can be as primitive and dated and 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 uh, of an earlier era as it wants to be. A good story is still a good story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So anyway, moving on with this then. So we have the Avengers ready to go, but Adam, of course, has vanished. Mm-hmm. And then we get this nice little thing as the ship flies into space of everyone. Kind of like what you said before about X-Men, going back to them, X-Men 137, when they're about to do the fight for Jean Grey's life against the Imperial Guard, where you get like a couple, a page or two of each X-Men thinking about it. Yeah. And we get kind of a version like that. And you can obviously tell which characters Starling is more interested in here. The ones he has done the most with Moondragon, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel, because everyone else gets a panel. A panel. But I do like how the dialogue for each one kind of continues on into the next person, even though they're not speaking, they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, no, I, I like that. Although I do have to say, this is the, the, the beast gets the starliniest line of them all, because let's let's go back uh, uh al you and i to the uh the captain marvel remember the whole bit where he transformed to a warrior of enlightenment or whatever or whatever um eon did to him in, yeah. in that in those in those very famous and uh, uh transformation issues and when he dies here yeah and here's beast those eyes they've seen it all life death infinity and they've understood. And I'm like, that's Jim Starlin right there, baby. Yeah. But yeah, I like how that dialogue, again, like you said, it's not usually his dialogue that we're talking about. It's more the plot or art. Mm-hmm. But the dialogue mm-hmm. here, I really did like how, like Thor's thought about he wants to test his might against Thanos' battle power. Mm-hmm. And then Vision's thoughts continue that, even though they're not speaking to each other. You know, But will even that win the day for us? Yeah, yeah. Still, and, I bet that warlock knew more about Thanos than he shared with us, thinks Cap, to which Im- immediately uh, Beast continues. I wonder where he is. Yeah. And also, if you notice, this is still before they became Eternals. Mm-hmm. Because as Vision says, he's a product of the evolved, he's a product of an evolved offshoot of the gods of Olympus. In effect, he is a mutant demigod. Yeah, right. Remember, because, yeah, that was all like Kronos and that was all part of the origin as presented by Starlin in the early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Cause OK, because that, that whole bit was news to me. And I was like, really? Oh, yeah. That comes up. In the, that's in the Captain Marvel story. Yeah. At this time, they were just um, mentor was basically like Zeus's brother or something or cousin and leaves uh, Earth. Mm hmm. I vaguely recall that, yeah. Yeah, because 1977 is when the Eternals series first happened. So this, I, I'm not sure what month it was, but the Eternals might not even have been a concept yet from Kirby. Well, also, throughout Kirby's use of the Eternals, they were not really Marvel Universe. And I was going to say that, too. That's why the when you have the Hulk in there, it's a Hulk robot. It's not, not really until, um, I want to say it's Roy Thomas on Thor who brings the Eternals and kind of picks up all the plot threads from that series and brings them into the Thor series. What? Roy Thomas taking loose plot threads and trying to what, tie them into something else? That's his move, <laughs> baby. It's his move. Inconceivable. It's, it's his brand. And let's be honest, a lot of the time he did it so well. <laughs> I have to say, this panel where all of the spaceships appear, where Moondragon by the gods, and then we just get the reveal of the uh, extent of Thanos's war fleet here. And first of all, really nicely rendered that we have all these ships, and you can all and but because of the slight difference in coloration, he still manages to make Thanos's uh, 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 flagship pop. You can see it clearly. You can and see which also, one's sanctuary too. Yeah, 
And also, like, when I, I was five years old in 1977, and if I had read this when this was new, I, I would have just lost my damn mind with glee at that panel. Just all the spaceships ready to fight. Nothing cooler can be imagined. Right. Now, now, what I love is the next page. So we got Thor and Iron Man going through these ships, destroying everything. Can I just can I just uh, take one quick aside before you move on with that? They oh, sure. leave the, they leave the ship, and Iron Man says, "Hey, here they come, Thor." To which Thor responds, "Then stand back, Metal One." And I'm like, "Metal One? What is he like? I don't know who you are, but you are made of metal, so stand aside or what? Like what? what He's like what Hulk. <laughs> it's like the Hulk's nicknames for people in the Defenders. Yes. He's a god. He has a lot on position. his mind. This is true. This is true. But that's just but, that just made me laugh. Carry on now. But I just love this fact there. These guys are dead, right? I mean, is there any doubt that these aliens are dead? No. And so it just makes me think later on. Now, I did enjoy the story, but I later on, I'm thinking Operation Galactic Storm when Captain America is so upset that they killed the Supreme Intelligence. And I'm like, and he's like, Avengers don't kill. I'm like, really, Cap? Really? Are you yeah. sure? Are you 100 percent sure? Mm hmm. Did you just kind of fly the ship away? Like, don't look in the rearview mirror. Don't look in the rearview mirror. If you don't look at it, it didn't happen. I have such major issues with the big stickler of the superheroes never kill thing. I mean, it's like, I understand you taking a moral stance and that as a crime fighter, you shouldn't be going around killing thugs or whatever. But the superheroes never kill with all the different stories that have been done with superheroes over the years is just, is just bull. I mean, Superman never kills except for all the times that he does. He does. Yeah. Yes, I agree completely. Given how given how regular a plot feature, how many how many comic book stories have started with this absolutely with this being absolutely capable of destroying a planet, escaping from imprisonment. And it's like um might want to rethink your strategy there, uh, buckos. Right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I love this. The next page after that, where Thor just brings the lightning and the thunder and like mm-hmm. destroys like twelve ships at once. Yeah. Plus, reading it on the Marvel Unlimited, I was using the uh, like it's like Comicsology's guide view for anyone who doesn't have it, where it just goes panel by panel. Mm-hmm. So that panel itself was she, took up the whole screen of my tablet, oh, and it's even cool. more awesome there than right now for purposes of review of reviewing it. I'm just going page by page, but as just the panel itself expanded on is just like epic and awesome. And then when the Avengers cruiser, Moon Dragon's cruiser lands on Sanctuary 2, I detect perhaps the um, coming to fruition of a prediction of Al's. Yes. Yet strangely, yeah, it says uh, they land atop Sanctuary 2's port section, which is where Pip landed, yet strangely find no docking hatches. Hmm. Now, you see, the first time I read that, I did notice that, but I had sort of chalked it up to Thanos just changing his ship's architecture because he knew some hostiles were approaching. I just sort of assumed that was a thing he could do. But this is something completely different. You are correct. Because, well, as we know, since we already did this, you know, I already did the summary, so it's not like people don't know. This is not Sanctuary 2. This is a decoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and he knows what he's doing there. Yeah, that he has his ship out there with all of his other ships. Because as we're going to see as we get to this battle, they even say, I think it's Captain Marvel says, this is too easy. 
this that last panel where Captain America shouts, "Let's go!" Oh yes, thank you. I what, love this panel. What a great all-time great comic book panel that is! Like if there was a Hall of Fame for individual comic book panels, this one should absolutely be in there. Holy crap, is that a great shot? I love that of the laser blast coming at them and the, just the Avengers just diving into battle. Yeah. Yeah. And just the <sighs> angle of it and the layout and the composition. Oh, it's it. Ah, oh, oh, that is some great, great stuff right there. And then, of course, you get a couple. You get that nice big full page splash of Starlin actually doing his aliens as opposed to the cover where it's mm-hmm. just one type of alien. We got what a flying crocodile. We got an octopus guy with his tentacles on the head. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got an evil caterpillar. My favorite is the dude down in the lower right of the lower left of the page, the the reptilian kind of looking dude with the goggles, because that guy, to my mind, he is straight out of like 2000 A.D. or some other like British sassy, snarky British <laughs> 1970s, early 1980s comic. Like the way they designed the way guys like, I guess, John Gibbons or or Steve Parkhouse designed uh, aliens. That guy just looks right out of there and it just fills me with happy. Yeah, it looks like something out of like uh, Death's Head or something. Yeah. And but, there's uh, maybe a scroll in the very bottom right corner. Yeah, awesome. it looks kind of bluish, but yeah, looks like a scroll. It could be lighting. Yeah, that's also true. Um, by the way. John, is it just me, or is the alien that Moondragon is blasting look like a smaller head version of Krator? The yes. uh, big-headed judge guy? That's his sister right there. Yeah. And look at the person Captain Marvel is punching. Is that the gargoyle's, like, third cousin twice removed from the Defenders? Because it looks more like an ape version of Gargoyle. Yeah, I don't know the gargoyle from the Defenders. I really haven't read much with him. I know, but I know the visual. And it lo- if you look at Gargoyle, it looks very. This looks like a monkey version of him. Okay. Okay. Uh, all I was going to say is the guy Moondragon is blasting, and and you guys will get this reference. I hope the guy Moondragon's blasting actually reminds me of Sphinxor from Star Planet Star System Pegasus. And a little bit too Sphinxor. You're right. What's his sphincter? Sphinxor. <laughs> <laughs> he's gave the he gave the uh the 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 big re- when when Starlin took over Warlock and Strange Tales, Sphinxor gave us the 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 quick rundown. Oh yeah, 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 were. yeah. And we'll get more of him, John, when we do the Marvel Two and One issues. Not the annual, but when we do is- the issues of Marvel Two and One, sixty one to sixty three, he's in there too. Gotcha. So he comes back actually. And then we have a pig demon with a blaster. Yes, I love that big guy. <laughs> with the, with the yeah, with the with the with the reptilian pointy tail though. It's like a pig demon. And and bug eyes. And is it just me or does it look like on that last panel he's in like he's dancing? Yeah, yeah, totally totally does. Oh, he has a blaster arm and very fly 1970s chain. Yes. Oh, this is this going to be stylish even if you're a pig demon. Come on. This is this is fair. This is very very fair. I love I love how hearkening back to uh, Hank's uh, first appearance in this issue where he's telling a body story and then here his banter is like I love how they've turned Hank from like brainy scientist guy to like completely like no filter ladies man like he's very clearly waiting for his best friend Wonder Man to show up. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, Bank was definitely like that in the Avengers from what I remember reading. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And that was my first exposure to him. I didn't find out he was an X-Man till, till much later. But still, we got a lot of fighting. And, of course, I like Quillar the Massive, the cybernetic giant ape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, well, he's the boss. He's the boss of this level. Huh? Doesn't take long to beat him. <laughs> That's an easy boss level, then. Seriously, you could totally make a side-scroller out of this issue. You oh, really God, yeah. could. This is, and and everything looks so different. Starlin is so Im- imaginative with this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that ape has a brain pan that's you know transparent. He has uh, robotic arms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just Actually, it's fantastic. He, he has he has uh, GI Joe arms. A certain a certain pre Real American Hero version of GI Joe. I believe the action figure had like. Bionic arms. Interesting. And yes. and they remind me of that. If anyone... been re- Sorry, go on, John. I've been rereading a lot of uh, early uh, American hero comics um, for uh, for reasons. <laughs> and people Fine, listening be cryptic to sh- if you want, John. <laughs> and people listening to the show would know what you're talking about, Brian, because back in episode 100, we, d- uh, we did a dramatic well, reading let- of the ad... For the G.I. Joe Super Venture team. Ah, uh, yes. That, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Was that, was that, hold on, was that with a, a, a Bullet Man? Yes. Oh, man, is that a piece of my child. Dude, dude, yes. the, episode 100 is, is friggin' legendary for a reason. Yes. With the, yes, voiced by, well, I forget who voiced which one, but in, going back with what John said, by the way, voiced by the Jeff and Rick from Jeff and Rick present the up. Uh, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, and Jay from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. <laughs> Sweet. Wait, to quote my friend Rick Jones, sit on it, QR. Wow. <laughs> Captain Rick's Marvel rolling the, his eyes. Marvel the Sweat Hog. Rick's rolling his eyes right now in the negative yeah. zone. Yeah. Rick's yeah. in the negative zone going, no, 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 no. You're not saying it right. Yeah, you, you, you got your S sounds mixed up on that one. <laughs> You think for Rick Jones, it's like being bonded with dad. It's like, oh, God, dad, stop talking. Stop. John knows this, I'm sure. John's heard this before. I'm pretty sure. Stop talking, dad. Stop talking. Just stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that every day. (laughs) That's his existence. But I love I love the idea that Rick Jones looks at Captain Marvel as a sort of like dad kind of figure. That is that is a mood. I love that. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that's canon. I mean, from what I remember, we haven't got to it yet, but from what I remember from Death of Captain Marvel, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, Rick Jones thinks Marvel's totally Squaresville, but he's still dad. Yeah, but dad has so, to be Squaresville. Dad can't be cool. Exactly, exactly. But this is where this is where Marvel picks up on what you were alluding to uh, that that there's something dreadfully wrong here. This is all too easy. Yeah, I mean, granted, easy, kind of like what we said for Star Wars, escaping from the Death Star easy, mm-hmm. but still easy in comparison is like, this should be a lot harder than it is. Mm-hmm. And he breaks through that door to find Adam again and uh, Catatonic Pip the Troll. Mm. Barely alive Pip the Troll. Very, very tragic scene. Yeah. Really. I mean, just look at this page. We are in an Avengers annual, and here's a page with no one on it but Marvell, Pip, and warlock mm-hmm. yeah and it's, it's even a more story yeah mm-hmm. and even a bit more tragic for adam because gamora was at least somewhat of a friend maybe or an ally mm-hmm. maybe she could have been more maybe not 
but Pip was his actual friend. Mm-hmm. And we had we had just seen a little bit of that because I mean you know the Warlock series being what it was after everything went down with Thanos. We got like one issue of them two just sort of butting around and bonding for a little bit before, you know, the story continued. But you definitely got a feeling that like that like there was there was a connection between these two. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the beginning. All when he first meets Pip, all the other aliens leave and Pip stays down behind to help him. Even if he can't really do anything, he still was there. He still was willing. And so Adam pulls Pip into the soul gem. And he's like now I know where Thanos is because he told Pip. And what uh, I like, and what I like here is that Starlin keeps this comic book adventure story from disappearing entirely up its own metaphysical bunghole by uh, starting the process of blowing up our son Saul. So now there are once again real world-saving stakes here in this Avengers annual, because let's face it, Sterling can get a little distracted by his own musings on occasion and his own tendencies to make his stories very uh, heady and concerned with not entirely comic booky things. So that he remembered to do this is a good thing. Yeah, because the real Sanctuary 2 is on the other side of the sun, getting ready to blow it up, while this one is the distraction. And is that another sort of callback there, that the fact that it's on the other side of the sun, because you know what else was on the other side of the sun? Counter-Earth. I didn't think about that. Just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of uh, a thematic unity there. So two that planets are in peril. Sorry. Well, no. ten. Well, I mean, inhabited. <laughs> well, I guess three if you count Titan. Right. That we know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, I guess four if you count Uranus with the aliens that Marvel Boy is on. The guy who uh, had the quantum mass before Quasar. Right, right. But I don't know if that's been really brought up yet. But I still, any, I don't think any of that is back in canon yet at this point in the stories. Yeah, I'm not sure when when he came back as the Crusader in Fantastic Four if that had happened yet or not. But yeah, so Sanctuary 2, the real one is, you know, I like that. Thanos is all the all those ships that whole that whole fake sanctuary too filled with aliens to fight the avengers all of that just a distraction right but i do love i do love once 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 we get into the uh the 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 sun meltdown sequence here we have alluded several times in this episode to the fact that starlin's dialogue is not his strongest suit but his narration has often been if not um a literary masterpiece has always been like sort of unique and filled with a certain character that you won't find anywhere else. And I just right here is very Starlin-y narration images, a look at a dark and ominous future. Imagine if you can our orb of dawn exploding into a shapeless mass extending from horizon to horizon. Imagine our greatest cities melting into shit like that whole, just sort of addressing the reader directly in such a unique voice that is pure Starlin. No one else does that really. Is this can... fl- would, would, would this flare and style be described as purple? I feel like I feel like this is purple uh, writing here. Oh, it, it is very. It is purple-ish, but um, I don't know. It, I think to be fully purple, it would have to have much like a, a much more pretentious vocabulary. This is just very. I don't know if I'd go full purple on it. It's certainly purple-ish, though. More of a mauve. Yes, yes. <laughs> a, a fuchsia, perhaps. I, all I know is reading that right now, in my head, 
it's if this was like let's say an animated movie or just an act or anything narrated by In Search of Era Leonard Nimoy. Oh yes, completely, completely. Good call. But yeah, so we get another neat bit of artistic, um, you know, construction yes. on the bottom there with, you know, the the spread of panels begins and ends with two very thin verticals, mm-hmm. and at the first you get Captain Marvel's centered on his eye, and then at the end you get everything black with an eye in the exact same place in orientation, but now it's Warlock's eye. You shall know it yet. And it's, it's just neat. He does like lurking in shadows, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's a, he a true warlock. He said that a couple times. I'm not really sure what that means, but I guess it means he likes to be in the shadows. He can hang off Batman a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other buds. Yeah. They like being in the shadows. They're the, they, he is the knight. He is Adam Warlock, the God Slayer, which is this is a that top panel. Half the time, if you look up Adam Warlock, that panel is like one of the first one that shows up in like image image searches. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I see that. I've seen that panel a lot. Although, if you notice, this battle doesn't go very well for Warlock. I mean, Thanos beats him in one page. Yeah, and doesn't just beat him. Pretty much kills him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm just looking to see does he get back up. He doesn't. Uh, he starts to crawl later, but not until after the battle. I found that pretty surprising, actually. I did not expect I did not expect that to happen in this issue. Yeah. And then Thor and Iron Man show up. And we actually get to see Thor fight Thanos and do better than he did in the movies. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. the first movie. This is so Thanos. Like, Thanos starts to engage in fist. Like, he's sit- sitting here engaging in this entire plan. And he's got this gem. Like, the key to the entire plan is the gem. So as soon as Thor and Iron Man, two Avengers, show up, does it occur to Thanos to, like, keep an eye on the important keystone gem to his plan? No. No, he just starts trying to beat the crap out of Thor, leaving Iron Man wide open to go destroy his important Keystone Gem thing. And the Keystone Gem is very easily destroyed. You would have thought, I don't know, it would have had more innate staying power. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a little tougher to to, to disintegrate. But no, no, just a nice taste of, repul- of the old pulse repulsor rays. And then he leaves, just leaving them threats. The minutes mm-hmm. of life remaining to are few, which, like I said before, and going back to what Starlin said, this could work still as, a, as its own annual. This could have just been the villain pledging vengeance and then going away and coming back at some future date. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Or the fact that they gave him another annual, he goes, oh, I can do more. Thanos meant it. The minutes of life remaining are few. I'll be back in five. But this also could be read, could have been read, done on its own, and that's it. And then we get to the confusing stuff. Yes. Um, so. My only question before we get into deconstructing this page of confusing stuff: Are we meant to? Are we meant to um, understand that Marvel actually witnesses this exchange, or yes. does he not? He does. Okay. Because there are physically two warlocks here from different time periods interacting with each other. With the exception of Captain Marvel being in this, this is exactly what happens in Warlock 11. Yeah, we've seen this scene from the other warlock's perspective before now. Interesting. Yeah, so the other warlock is the warlock from the past, Warlock 11. In order to prevent himself from becoming the Magus in the future, he had to find, he had to basically go on his path of life. Like it was like a very Dicko, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, like everything is uh, 
it's not just metaphysical, it's like a physical metaphysical. So he actually is on a literal path of his life of all branches sticking out. He's like standing in the middle of like a six-pointed intersection or something like that. Yeah. And he finds the one that's going to be the magus, and he cleanses it and then destroys it. So that never happens. And then to prevent himself from living long enough to still become the magus, it somehow finds the shortest path and picks that and therefore makes that the way his life will go and jumps to the very end to find himself and sucks in his, his, his own self soul. But right before he dies. So therefore he never can become the magus because now his soul is trapped inside there. Mm. So Warlock actually also knew everything because not only did he see it from, you know, go, go into the future and see it. He also had himself in the soul gem for like the last year. Hmm. Would you say he had the knowledge of what was going to happen or he just had access to the knowledge? Mm, I'm not sure. That's an excellent question. I mean, here's the question also. How did he know where to find Gamora on some random planet? Okay. Yeah, good point. Mm. I mean, there's how many... I mean, wasn't that a point uh, when in Warlock 15 when Thanos sends Gamora to find Adam? And it's like, well, he could be anywhere, but I guess I'll try and find him. Yeah, I mean, comics are definitely the stuff of coincidence. And there could have, you know, if we had had that in story rather than just as an introductory scene, there could be narrative reasons why he went to that particular place. But since all we get is, oh, and then he found Gamora, it does lend us up to say, okay, so something must have led him there. Yeah, he knew maybe. But um, all of these things is interesting because... When you're Adam Warlock and you go to the end of your lifespan and you see yourself lying on the ground and everything's been destroyed, everyone I loved is dead, everything is gone, I just want to die. It's really tragic. And now we're there. And it's just, I don't know, it's weird. And Warlock's had to live with this since Warlock number 11, knowing that he only has months left and no matter what he does, everything's (laughs) going to fall apart. Everything's going to be horrible. Months? You fool, it's been an eternity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, Marvel's like, I have no idea what the hell I just saw. <laughs> and I you have should. cosmic awareness. Yeah, I was going to say, Marvel, you should be cosmically aware. You should know what's going on here. Maybe he's like, it's better to not know. Yeah. This is Starlin finishing off and making tying this whole time loop up perfectly, like making it actually end up that way, as opposed to you know, maybe it's because the benefit of him leaving the book and therefore it ending, as opposed to a lot of other time loop things that happen in comics where eventually gets changed because, well, we can't have the title characters die. You know, we have to make sure days of future past. We're actually not going to have that happen because, well, we can't cancel our books. I had a similar thought. The problem with your characters interacting with the future is you don't usually end up going to that future. So it's not really the future. And I'm really curious what's going to happen for you for all the pouches when you get to – because they did a thing in Image called Images of Tomorrow where like a lot of their books, they jumped ahead and did issue like 25, I think. There were four titles that did that, and only two of them actually made it to 25. (laughs) So I'm curious then when when you get to that if that actually – gets to if that actually comes to fruition, works out, or if they all of a sudden like in the last issue have to figure out how to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'll be I'm very curious to see if it flows smoothly or if it's like a, you know, big old, you know, sort of jolting 
you know, connection. Um, I know that those 25s get re-released as they were, you know, two years earlier, whenever it's time for 25 to come out. So two comics at least did actually do that connection, but how smoothly did it go? I am very curious to see. Yeah. I'm curious. Speaking of this now, that made me, that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, Ooh, I'm really curious how they do that. But yeah. So Adam is dead. And then we have dead. this nice, but I like this thing as we get to the, the next few pages, the panels switch. So we have the living with like Adam War- with uh, Thor, Captain Marvel and Iron Man talking about what happened. And then we have the dead with Adam Warlock realizing like, wait, where am I? And there's Gamora and Pip. And it's mm-hmm. like, we're in the soul gem, which is kind of weird though, because now here, like in the soul gem, everything's peaceful and lovely, but everything we read about the soul gem up until now has been horrible. It's an evil vampiric monster. Maybe it's an evil vampiric monster that thinks killing you with happiness is the way to go. <laughs> Which does go a bit in what they did recently with Infinity Countdown, where they kind of imply in Infinity Wars, where they imply there's something horrible inside the Soul World. Mm-hmm. And at first I was thinking, well, that's not the way we saw Soul World before. But as we redid these old Warlock issues, I'm like, oh, yeah, but we always the, the first thing we see with the Soul Gem is it's kind of evil. Yeah. Well, I don't know why kind of is heaven a little bit like a paradise of sorts. Why isn't everybody laying in three inches of water? Isn't that the soul realm? No, that was just the MC and never mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> took me a second to realize what you're talking about. I'm like, what? What? But we, yeah. But we yeah, everybody... where, where's the floaty red skull? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got Krator. Oh yeah. He's, I like how Krator's smiling. I just love, I just love it. Like, when 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 we're supposed to see Adam's face is happy, it looks a little unhinged though. Looks a little jokerish. Yeah, it looks a little yeah. I think is I, I read that as just like unbridled joy. Like in all of his existence, he has never ever gotten to just sit and be happy. And this is a moment where like, wow. And it, it really does feel like heaven. It really does feel like you know, your life is over. You have come to your reward. This is and, the paradise you've always wanted. And all of your friends are here. Even and your enemies the, are your friends now. And again, with the Starlin, all of his obsessions and themes. What is the last thing Warlock says here? Where Here we are all one. And in this oneness, there can only be love. I mean, that is, you know, oneness and love. And like, that's been what he's wave, been waving at all along, Starlin, since he started this. I just read my Warlock Krator fan fiction. It also, <laughs> oh God! It also reminds me a lot of uh, Jay and DiMatteis' stuff. Not like let's say Spider Man or his Just League International, but his uh, more creator own stuff he did, like Seekers into the Mystery. Okay. Doctor and Doctor F- Fate. He very much. It's very much stuff like that he did. Very much metaphysical, kind of Eastern philosophy inspired. And now here's the thing, because on the one on the one hand. Like, I get the sense that Starlin really did want to present this idea of, hey, there's oneness, then where there is oneness, there is love and all this. And yet, I was going to say before, you know, you said you see this face as one of unbridled joy, John. But I said, you know what I see is that's the sort of face, when you're being told a story, that's the sort of face you see on someone who thinks they're seeing something wonderful. And then the camera pulls back to show that they're, like, in a straight jacket, in a chair, like, mm-hmm. you know. Or something like that. 
And that sense of like almost I don't know if I want to like delusion or or not reality is reinforced to my mind by the crackling of the scene at the bottom of where he's walking. He, there's the panel where he's walking away with Pip and Gamora, but under the bottom of that panel crackles away. And in a way that's an allusion to the fact that this is the soul gem, which is a shatterable object, but, and, but it also shatters away to reveal Thor, Iron Man and Marvel standing over a dead body. And it all seems to be sort of, of pointing towards a, yeah, this looks good, but it isn't sort of feel. He's he's actually dead. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is that was that Starlin implying that there is something still evil in the soul gem, even though he's doing this happy ending for Warlock? Now, I we don't only get much in Soul World and like Infinity Watch and stuff. And I really wasn't reading Silver Surfer up until right before Infinity Gauntlet, so Anything in Silver Surfer that had to do with Adam Warlock still in Soul World, I haven't read yet. So I'm curious to see when we get to that part if uh, we get any implications that maybe there is something sinister there yet. Or if that's a story idea he just never got a chance to get to. Just for my part, everything in Soul World seems really just paradisaical except whenever he finds the Magus in it. You know, he says here that there's no room for will. There's no room for hate. It's just love. There's it under understanding and mutes the ego. The Magus in this in the soul realm belies all that because <laughs> he's very definitely the Magus. And also you said about Brian, what you said about like you have that there and it cracks away and you have them, the three of them standing over a dead body. Like despite everything else, he's still dead. Mm-hmm. Have you either of you guys ever watched Life on Mars? Not the American version, but the original British version. No. I wanted to go back and watch the British version, but I have only seen the American version. Okay, I have not now, seen either. Then I'm not going to say too much about it, but it definitely reminds me a lot of the end of that series. Okay. Mm. But, mm. yeah, no, it, if you get a chance, that might be one of my favorite TV series ever. And it's very different than the American one. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember actually how the American one ended, except for vaguenesses. But I remember hearing that the British one ended very differently. Yes, very differently. But yeah, if you get a chance, watch it. I'm googling now to find when it came out. Okay. Um, so yeah, Warlock's dead. And and, and all right, John, get off the show. We're done with you. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger, but it's not a cliff. Like like it. Like it tells us that we're going to be continued in the Marvel two in one annual, but it doesn't feel like a cliffhanger. No, like, like I said, it's and I mean, based on what he said there, it makes sense. Then he did this and then they said and then what it worked out to do another one. And so he did the other one. So it feels like he wrote this one to end. And, you know, Thanos just gets away and then he's like, oh, you know what? I'll continue this on. We can do more of this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like that they're both on, it's on, on sale now. So imagine reading this and then going, oh, crap. You know, you're 10 years old or 12 years old in 77. You're reading this off the newsstand. You're like, wait, it's out now? I have to wait? Like, I can run out right now and grab the next part. I mean, how awesome is that? Is I mean, even now we're still like waiting like usually a week or two at least for the next part of whatever big story you're reading. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, no, 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 it's out right now. Go get it. I'm just looking up to see when the release date was on that. True. I didn't look up the release date yet. I'm just going by what it says here now on sale. It looks like it might have been delayed because it says um, September 20th is when it actually hit stands. Oh, wow. That's that's um, over a month later. Never mind. 
Well, then that would really screw up those kids' heads. Right, like, right. They're like, I want to go get it. Oh, where is it? I'm thinking of those stories of people who were like, were buying comics off the newsstands. And, like they sometimes would have like three or four different ones they would go to to get everything. Imagine these poor kids looking for like five different places trying to find the Marvel Two in One Annual. Right. Because right. it says here wow. now on sale. Yeah. And of course, the newsstand people don't know because they don't really keep track of what comics they get. Yeah, they're like I don't know. They're over there. This is this is really interesting because you know there's. There's death in comics. There's uh, Jean Grey. There's Captain Marvel. There's okay. So Jean Grey and Captain Marvel haven't happened yet. Gwen Stacy is dead, mm-hmm. and and Adam Warlock is dead. And for all intents and purposes, Adam Warlock is dead. Mm-hmm. Feral Lad. If we're going by people who died at this point, yeah, Feral Lad is dead, and he's still dead. So you know stuff with like Jean Grey you get a different creative team deciding let's bring this character back uh, with stuff like Gwen Stacy, although she mostly stays dead, you get creative teams who want to play with that idea later and tease that it's different. We are of course an entire generation of comic readers away from Superman dying and coming back. So that's not really any, any sort of thing yet. This guy is dead and it's not until 15 years later, whenever Starling gets an idea for a story again, that he figures out a way to bring the character back on his own terms in his own way. So this to me is one of the best examples of death and resurrection in comics. Um, the death was totally real. It was totally bought into is totally intended to be permanent. And the person who caused it long, long time later decided, huh, I could do something else with that character though. And told a new story. I remember when Captain America died after Civil War it was right around when I was getting back into comics. And even though I was, you know, 30 something getting back into comics, I still kind of a naive comic reader. It was actually 20 something um, because I hadn't been reading comics for very long. And so whenever Captain America was dead for so long and Bucky was cap for so long, I bought it. And I was like, you know, if some other creative team wants to bring back Steve Rogers of the future, that's fine. But as far as I'm concerned, Bucky is cap now. Right. I, I didn't even know that, you know, as soon as Ed Brubaker finished penning 25, he was already, you know, coming up with how he was going to bring him back. And he actually was going to do it sooner and just delayed it because Bucky Cap was doing so well. So I don't know. It's. Yeah, I like this version of death in comics. Yeah, mm-hmm. where, they, where the same creative team gets to do the story they want to do. Right. I mean, you get something similar with Superman's death because it was still the same creative teams, you know, the, the, you know that were on the book from death and the revert return. Yeah, but they didn't really, I mean, they killed Superman to bring him back. Like, they intended for that to happen. There was never any intention on the creative team to leave Superman dead. Oh, I see what you're saying. It wasn't, the the plan from the beginning was kill him, and this is how we're going to bring him back. It wasn't as opposed to these other characters where it was kill them, and that's it. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, if, if, um, if Captain America's... Descent into the Ice was an actual comic story, which it's not, if you don't know out there in listener land. Um, the Avengers number four, where they bring Captain America back, they retcon his entire history. That's that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, but if there had been some creative team in 1948, 49, 1950, who had ended Captain America comics with him dying in the ice, heroically, tragically, whatever, and then 15 years later, they're like, oh, superheroes are fun again. Let's... Let's bring Captain America back. Maybe he survived that fall. 
Yeah. Instead, that was if you go back and read those Captain America Golden Age stories, never happened. He just right. continues on. He doesn't. He doesn't vanish at the end of World War II. He's still there after World War II. And that's he, still he him. vanishes <laughs> into um, bankruptcy and, and low sales. He doesn't vanish into the ice. He right. vanishes into a horror comic. Yeah. <laughs> Captain America's Weird Tales, and then goes away for several years, and then comes back in the fifties, smashing commies. Briefly. And then comes back. Yeah, like what three issues? I think. Yeah. And then comes back again, and it's like, nope, that wasn't me. Different guys. That was the spirit of '76. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it, ticket. Because that was one of the guys that replaced Cap. Right. So yeah. Uh, so Thanos is dead. Um, Thanos is dead. Warlock is dead. Long live Warlock. Well, one day. <laughs> but I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I agree with you, John. Um, one, as I've gotten older, I've started to very much enjoy. St- like I've started to value that stories have endings. And so in this, in these never ending properties of, of characters, like in a way I've sort of enjoy taking the, the individual runs as self-contained stories rather than as pieces of a longer narrative. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I've come to value that. It's more enjoyable. I think sometimes to Um, read them because for some of these characters like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Right. A lot of times it's going to be, oh, well, we got to go back to what it was 30 years ago. And it's like, but I read this awesome storyline and everything like worked out and made sense. And there was progression and growth. And now you're just like, no, 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 can't do that. Got to go back yeah. to what it was. Like, oh, it was what I want when I was 12. Right. I mean, yeah. for me, like the most egregious example for me, the most obvious example and, you know, beating the dead horse into a sticky paste. But I'm a Spider-Man fan, like at my core. And for me, my probably hands down favorite run of Spider-Man is the J. Michael Straczynski run from the early 2000s. That's exactly what I was thinking of. And of course, you know, that he made many changes. He gave for the for probably the first time in, in his entire uh, existence, he gave Peter an actual honest to God, like grown up relationship in marriage, because as much as I like the uh, the, the the 90s Spider-Man and, and his relationship with Mary Jane in the 80s and 90s, Let's face it, that that wasn't at the beginning, you know, in the in the McFarlane years and all that. It wasn't exactly a a, a mature marriage. It wasn't exactly the kind of marriage that, you know, you you could really think think of 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 adults having. It was very very much what a a kid or or young teenager imagines marriage to be if they were like from the outside looking in. This is what's going to be like when I'm married. Exactly. So my point is, JMS gave them a real honest to God grown up marriage, a strong relationship that was so like that made his story better in so many ways and that made so many stories better. Aunt May found out and he joined the Avengers and like all of these big changes happened and they were all great and it was all great. And then as uh, as is as is, you know, so well known, it got all ignominiously undone with the um one more day slash brand new day storyline and fine, you know, and for a while I was bitched up about that, but then I realized no, because you know, that just reset it fine. Then we got a new story and let's, and for me, once I got over it, the, 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 the brand new day stories and the Dan slot years were, were fantastic in their own way. So I just view them as separate stories that happened of the same character in them rather than trying to reconcile them as part of the same ongoing narrative and i'm fine with that because as just to circle it back to why i'm telling 
why I'm going on this long-winded diatribe, because John is absolutely right. And stories that have endings have value. And it, and it, it, it makes us feel, it, it, it satisfies us in a way nothing else really can. And it makes me also realize this is like one of the earliest times that they did this. Like they let the creator tell the story of this and his characters and they didn't touch them until he came back. I mean, we'll get this later on with Neil Gaiman and the Sandman. I mean, pretty much any time the Sandman has appeared, it's been used, Jeff, from what I understand, unless I'm wrong, it's been with Neil Gaiman's permission. Like when yes. uh, Sandman shows up in Grant Morrison's Justice League. That's with Gaiman's permission. The same thing with uh, James Robinson and Starman. They leave it alone. They don't bring him back, you know, unless James Robinson, I guess, wanted to or something. They let it go away. And But this is like a, two decades before any of that would happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely an anomaly in corporate comics because in a time before creator-owned characters, and legally it's not a creator-owned character, it's Marvel's character, but they treat it like a creator-owned character. Mm -hmm. Yes. So definitely very interesting because he's, yeah, he, he's dead until... Jim, uh, Jim Starlin's Silver Surfer run. <laughs> you know, because after these, he's pretty much going to be gone from Marvel for the most part. And over at DC, doing like DC Comics Presents and creating Mungle, you know, Thanos' younger brother. Yes. And then uh, working on Batman and stuff. I mean, you know, the main thing he's going to do for Marvel, I think, after this will be creator-owned. Literally. Dreadstar. Yeah. Yeah. Epic. Yeah, big stuff. It's a god-awful small affair. The girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen but the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on singles Fighting in the dance hall Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfi Stafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I don't think I can claim you on benefits. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) When shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. (laughs) Cool. We're going to get to our friends and enemies segment in a minute, but first, time for some feedback. Or at least, time to continue the feedback, since we did half of it in 117A. <laughs> anyway, remember, we are covering feedback from episode 114, just a series of events in which John and I covered Warlock number 15. On Twitter, the post about that episode was liked and retweeted by We Are Venomaniacs Podcast, Coffee and Comics, Adeline Rising Podcast, David Finn, Last Sons of Krypton, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Ghost Rider Podcast, Nexus of All Realities, Dano Cosmic, Tim Price, The Podcrasher, Rattletron Broadcasting, Mr. Podcast A Lot, Into the Night, Long Box of Darkness, Trans Lesbian Planet Eater, Doc Strange, Jason Snick Venable, Napoleon John Wilson Apart, Radioactive Dinosaur, Jim Fanning, Hell Dad, Derek Moreland, Hashtag BLM, Karen Walker, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Adriano, Steve Sellers, Jeff Durham, Alan Middleton, Dinosaur Dell, Sean J. Hunt, AYO, Keynes, Comics in the Golden Age, Adam Warlock, oh cool, Alex Thompson, Adam of Eternia, The Shotgun Prodigy, AvengersAssemble.net, Keith B. 10, 32 Pages, Long Box of Darkness, Van Allen Plexico, Masked Up Stan, Bill, and Cable Guide Storm Tracer. Also, want to thank a few more people who have been following us on the Tumblr page, especially since I forgot to do that for the last few episodes. So let's do that now, and also see if I can pronounce their Tumblr names. So thank you to Judd051, Tico Surfan, Chocolate Guy, Deadpool's Girlfriend, and CFAS77. Now if you want to send us an email, or at least just hear your name said here, there's a couple ways to go about it. You can like the post about our episode on our Facebook page, In Facebook, just go to the search box, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos, we'll pop up. Like them on our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. On Twitter, at AdamThanosPod, not only can you like the episodes there, talk to us about about any comics, not just Marvel Cosmic. And of course, you can send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. And don't forget my other show, well, it's not really my other show, but the show I'm on, L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast, covering DC's late 80s, early 90s Legion series. Not Legion Superheroes, this was the acronym Legion, Licensed Extra-Governmental Interstellar Operatives Network. 
There's a link in the show notes, or you can find all the episodes on legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. And of course, links in the show notes. But it is kind of it is fun. I don't read. I'm not reading any of these issues, these series consecutively right now. I'm only reading them for the show. So I'm, I'm kind of getting like the same impact someone would get if like like you said they were didn't always have the issues every month. Yeah. But like the last issue I read was like Fantastic Four was 184, and now I'm reading 188. So I'm kind of like jumping around with them. So I only know what I'm reading. <laughs> All right. Next up is Incredible Hulk number 217, The Circus of Lost Souls, by Len Wein, Sal Buscema, and Ernie Chan. Covered by Jim Starlin. Hulk befriends a group of ex-circus performers. Will this be a clan the Green Goliath can call his own? So my immediate reaction to this is, what a great idea for Immortal Hulk. I would love to see the Immortal Hulk twist on... You know, the Circus of Lost Souls. Oh, that would be twisted. Or even just the Circus of Crime. You know, it's it's uh, interesting because, you know, Hulk is one of those books that, it, whereas a lot of other books are, you know, silly, um, I actually don't mind reading old issues of Hulk. A lot of times they were a little darker or they, I, I don't know about this particular era, uh, but um, I found that, you know, Hulk kind of stayed consistent. It, it kind of walked a line that a lot of the other comics didn't. Sometimes it was darker. Yeah, I can see that. And the Hulk felt like it had a... The Hulk also feels like it has a purpose, because there's definitely a, a a general thing of Bruce trying to hide from, you know, at this point especially, Bruce is on the run and hiding. Yeah. It also made it easy for them to do anything they wanted to do, because they could just send him to another city. But still, it's the same premise. Kind of like The Fugitive or The Incredible Hulk TV show. Yeah, and it's uh, that's that works differently than a monthly superhero book does. You know, there, where there's a little less carryover. Even when there's a change in the guard, yeah, you know, the Hulk kind of still feels the same. It has yeah. more weight. He has more weight, I think. Yeah. No, and this was actually a pretty good issue, and it is a little. There is a little bit of darkness. It's about a couple. Of, uh, he meets a couple of ex-circus freaks, and who are running from the circus of crime because they wanted them to do crimes. And the Hulk befriends them, and then of course the, they get captured. And the one, the woman that's weighing on the ground actually turns out she's a mermaid who is dying because she's out of the water. And the Hulk basically has to say goodbye to her. And it's always sad when the Hulk makes a friend because you know he's going to have to say goodbye to them. Oh, yeah. And uh, just so you know, Al, I, I don't think we're allowed to call them circus freaks anymore. I think we're supposed to call them the carnivabled. But you know, <laughs> I could be wrong. Well, at this point, they were calling themselves circus, they're, they're circus <laughs> freaks. In it. It's 1977. <laughs> But they were cool. I, I actually, I'm curious to see the next issue because he he leaves them to go take the the mermaid back to the ocean. I'm wondering, does he go back to them? Because I mean, they still were his friends. He didn't have to leave. But I kind of have a feeling the next issue is not going to have them at all. Probably not. But it's it's always amusing to see the fact that the Sir Hulk fights the circus of crime a lot, and it's kind of amusing because it's like it's the circus of crime. What are they going to do against the Hulk? What do you do? I'm Princess Python. I have a big snake. It's the Hulk. <laughs> Their superpower is showing up in every issue of Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> we're the great Gambinos. We're, we're acrobat brothers. Okay, that's the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, realistically, you know, based on his power set, um, no one should be able to take him down. I mean, I, I love the way in, in the future, you know, they really dealt with that, um, you know, with World War Hulk and all that. Uh, because, he, yeah, I mean, he really should be one of the scariest things in the Marvel Universe. Oh, yeah. Well, like he is an Immortal Hulk. He's pretty scary. Yeah. 
which that is really, really good. Oh, best best comic book going right now, I think. And I'm really sad that it's ending at issue 50. I think that's oh. a tragedy. I, I, I don't even know why you would do this. This is the, the best the Hulk has been in 30 years. Or maybe in the entire history of the character. But, hey. Well, I would say at least best, because I really did enjoy the Peter David run of the, of the Hulk. I mean, not, not to say there weren't other good runs, but I think this is by far the best... No, it is really damn good. I mean, I'm only up to 25 because I'm reading it on the Marvel Unlimited, and that's what they have up to. Yeah. But up until that was really good stuff. All right, well, if we're talking about other series, it's time to move on. Oh, here we go. <laughs> this this is the one that you warned me about. Iron Man number 104, Triad, by Bill Mant- Mantlo, George Tuska, and Mike Esposito, covered by Dave, Dave Cockrum and Frank Giacoya. Midas is in control of Stark International, and Iron Man will do anything to get back control of his company. At least he'll have the inviting arms of Madame Mask to comfort him. That is, until S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Stilwell shows up. Okay, so a lot of these other books, like I mentioned what was going on in Darede- Daredevil, and yes, you could say for a lot of these books, particularly Spider-Man, there's a soap opera aspect to it. But reading this issue of Iron Man, I had to go double check, like, who's writing this? Like, is this not the creative team of, you know, Days of Our Lives writing this? My <laughs> God. <laughs> it, like, this is definitely like, this is soap opera. I mean, he's with Madame Mass, but he's anguished over his company. And then Jasper's in love with her. And you took her from me. Oh, good grief. That, and uh, the best part, is Iron Man and Madame Mask kiss. Now, not Tony Stark and Whitney Frost, which is her real name. Oh, by the way, she's also, just so you know, she's the daughter of Count Nefaria. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, just to go along with what we're doing today. But, yeah, no. We, it's, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about Tony and Whitney kissing. Iron Man and Madame Mask kiss. That might be the most ridiculous thing I've heard this year. Yeah. And I'm like, wait. What? How? Is it just like clang, clang, clang? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, did you ever watch Robot Chicken when it was on? Yes, yes. I The humping robot? Chicken. Don't recall the, it. There was a lot was, of uh, Robot Chicken. The big robot that would come up and like go to like a washing machine and start humping it, and you just hear oh. bang, bang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all oh. I can think of as I'm reading this issue. I'm like, they do it more than once, too. I'm like, how do you? Yeah, that That's awful. I mean, How does that even... work? Even back then, they should have known better. I'm like, that's not how this works. I also, what, what is up? You were talking about how you guys riffed a while back because uh, the Iron Man uh, had a nose. Well, here now, it looks weird. That he, I mean, that doesn't even look like there's enough room in there for his nose. Why, why does you, he look so strange? I don't know. Have you never seen the Iron Man nose? Uh, I don't know. I must have. Hold on a second. I mean, th- this picture... Looks more like uh, to me, like Wilson Fisk in an Iron Man costume. <laughs> I mean, look at him. Look at the way he's all, all hunched over. This is not. I mean, I like Dave Cockrum normally, but this is not the best of his work. This is not my favorite Dave Cockrum image. Definitely. Here we go. There's an image of him with the nose. All right. Let's let's take a look at this. What are all those black bubbles around everybody? It was just like, hey, we need oh, to fill this. Kirby Crackle. Ah, yeah, that's a lot. Marvel did that a lot because, well, Kirby. <laughs> oh, that you'll see that a lot in Fantastic Four. That was a lot of like to show like power or anything like that. 
but Kirby definitely did it best. Okay, so this is Iron Man with the nose. All right. Uh, yeah, that's a little Tin Man. Yeah. Report supposedly the reason for the nose is because at one point Stan was walking by when they like saw art. He said, "What happened to his nose?" So they went, "Okay, I guess we have to put a nose on it." And then another, I think, and then suppo- supposedly a year or two later, Stan saw the art and said, "Why does he have a nose?" <laughs> so they got rid of it. God, I gotta wonder if he was just messing with them. Possibly, that'd be great. Yeah. Stan's looking at each month going, "It's still selling." Okay, whatever. <laughs> But oh. I, I will give the story this. They actually there there's some adult things here. Like they they slipped some stuff in the Bronze Age if you're paying attention. Like if you're reading this issue, you're paying attention. You're going, okay. Tony's standing there, but she's in bed, and it's dawn. It's like they spent the night together. Yeah, Comics Code Authority. They had Guess to slip they, those things fast. Yeah, they must have. Uh, someone was sleeping on the job that day. Well, that's how they can get those things past them is by, you know, not implicitly saying it. It's kind of like there's an issue with Superman where Lois and Sue Clark go on a date and they kind of imply them kissing at night. And the next day they're wearing the same clothes at work. Ah. <laughs> but I actually enjoy this despite the ridiculousness of the uh, metal on metal kissing, which yeah. makes no sense to me. And Midas, does that, that's the guy in the, the seat. He has gold touch powers because his name is Midas. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, I don't know how, how it works. He somehow took over his company and therefore he's able to destroy, like within a day, he's like fired everybody. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of a thing in the Iron Man books. You know, somebody's always taking over his company. I mean, he must be the, the worst CEO in the history of the world. It's like every other week, it's like, oh, lost the company again. Yeah. <laughs> Time to start over. Oh, lost again. It's like you have to wonder how he's able to keep getting, like, being in charge of companies and getting board of directors. It's kind of like the same way Bruce Wayne is able to keep adopting kids. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, uh, what, what happened to the other ones? Where are they? They're, uh, they're somewhere. They're around. Well, no, no. He only lost. The, only the one died. <laughs> and not even for good. The rest of them are still around. They'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. What do we have up next? And now we have Marvel Team-Up number 63. Night of the Dragon by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Dave Hunt. Cover by Dave Cockrum and Frank Giacoya. The Steel Serpent has left a calling card for Iron Fist, and Peter Parker delivers the message. Spider-Man and Iron Fist team up against unimaginable evil. Will Misty Knight become a casualty in the process? Plus, what happens when Danny Rand loses the power of the Iron Fist? Well, man, that is an awful lot for a single issue, especially considering Marvel team-up generally never has any ramifications for the continuity of the the books the heroes are attached to. That's an awful lot to go through. True, except, and this is one of those exceptions, when they're using characters whose books have been canceled. Ah, okay. And so, therefore, it's kind of one of those, this or like Marvel 2 and one would be used sometimes for like, oh, well, okay, let's finish off their story here. Because Iron Fist has been canceled by... Iron Fist lasted 15 issues. And then a few years later, the Luke Cage Power Man series was kind of floundering. So they put Iron Fist in there to make it Power Man and Iron Fist. And it lasted for another 75 issues. So I guess it worked. Oh, nice. But at this point, Iron Fist had just been canceled recently. So, And considering the fact that Chris Claremont and John Byrne were the creative team on Iron Fist, 
and they were also working on Marvel Team Up. They figured, hey, let's finish off his, you know, at least finish off his story here, because apparently the Steel Serpent sub was a subplot going on in the last two or three issues. And this this issue also, I think, is probably uh, notable for the fact that it features both cultural appreciation and it must have black exploitation if it's the '70s and Misty Knight is around. Oh God, yes, yeah. she is so completely uh, Foxy Cleopatra or one of those. I mean, she's yeah. awesome in this. By the way, the, the solicitation is will you know will endanger her life? No, not at all. She's in no <laughs> danger whatsoever. She does a bunch of ass kicking. But at no point are you like going, oh, my God, Missy's going to get killed. It's like, no, 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 Missy's kicking the crap out of people. Yeah, and you know, I think it would bother me if either of those guys had to save her because she is more than capable of saving herself. Oh, no, she's she's there to save Iron Fist. The only reason she doesn't <laughs> is because she gets there too late. Yeah, no, she's there to save him. And she's in never in any danger. She's the one just kicking ass. It's She's awesome in this issue. For some reason, Steel Serpent totally reminds me of Tarantula. I don't know why. Must be the the head wrap. Mm, Not many characters have those head wraps besides, like, yeah, Tarantula and Iron Fist. This is definitely an Iron Fist story where they just kind of, Peter Parker just shows up briefly. (laughs) Because they're like, well, we got to have him in there somehow because it's Marvel team up. But (laughs) they're basically just finishing off their Iron Fist story. Mm. Yeah, I never never really liked most of the Marvel team ups. I mean, it was always interesting to see who was on there, but it, it... most of the time, I, I never thought they ended up being a good story. Yeah, I always knew it was just to, to put two characters together who wouldn't normally be together. Yeah. Like I said, the, the most of the times I like those team-up issues is when they... Because another book got canceled, so it's like, here's a way to finish it off. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know they used it like that, and that definitely is a good use of that. Yeah, because it works. It's like, okay. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. It's a place to put them, because it makes sense to have them in there. They got to put somebody... <laughs> And I mean, they did this for 125 issues. They got, you know, they got to, they got to fill space. <laughs> That's a lot of characters. Yeah, that is a lot of characters. Oh, all right, so we've got one more to go here. And this is the one. Unfortunately, I'm gonna have to vamp on it too because I didn't get a chance to read it. Ah, uh, well, I got too delayed with things. I read the Iron Fist. I read Iron Man and Marvel Team Up at lunch today, but I didn't get a chance <laughs> to read Thor. All, all right. right, here we go. All right, Thor 265. When falls the God of Thunder. By Len Wein, Walt Simonson, and Joe Sinnott. Cover by Walt Simonson and Joe Sinnott. Thor battles the Destroyer with Sif and Camilla by his side. But what is causing Camilla to duck out of the battle early? Text messages. It has to be text messages. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> She's busy texting Balder because that's her boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, cool cover. Uh, I wish the uh, the bad guy there looked a little better. Um, he yeah. kind of looks like a, a frumpy samurai, but you know everything else is pretty cool. Yeah, it's not the best destroyer, and I kind of feel bad saying that because I love Simonson normally, but this is not his best work. Now, that's if you saw the Thor movie, that's the destroyer from the end of yeah. the Thor movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that thing was badass. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely cool. I just rewatched that on Fourth uh, of July. We have oh. something. We need something loud on to keep the dog from hearing the fireworks. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. Not something I thought of. So uh, Thor and Captain America was on. I put. I mean, I put on. I actually did not realize this. I knew Simonson, obviously Simonson has a much lauded run on Thor. It's where we yeah. get Frog Thor from, it's where we get better Ray Bill. But I didn't know he worked on Thor like a couple years before that. Because he comes on Thor with his first issue of doing his his run is 337. This is like 70 issues earlier he was right mm. drawing it. I did not realize it. I don't know what's going on here, yeah. though. I mean, I read the last few issues, but it was just, it's Asgard craziness. Yeah, someone's trying yeah. to take over Asgard again, and Odin's asleep again. He's always asleep. 
Well, he's old. So, I'm, what are you going to do? I hope when I'm old, people let me sleep. Yeah, that's true. Oda has two jobs. He's either a sleep or he's a jerk. That's what I want to do when I'm old. You want to sleep or I be a jerk? I expect my kids to defend the house, and when I'm awake, I'm going to be an ass to everybody. That's what you do when you get old. <laughs> You've earned it by then. Except you'll at least have two eyes. <laughs> Hopefully. We don't know that. Now you've jinxed me. Way to go, Al. I said you're going to have them, so fingers crossed. Oh, but yeah, I really don't have anything else to say about this this cover. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's it's just an action shot. It doesn't really give it. It's unlike unlike some of the other ones. It doesn't give you much fodder. Like at least Avengers, we could go you know talk about all the different characters if we needed to. Yeah. Thor. It's just like well, we know Thor is, and he's hitting the destroyer. All right. Someone so, give that robot the Advil. I mean. <laughs> Ouch. All right, well, that's it. That's time for this. But before we go, uh, why don't you tell people a bit about GeekPod and where they can find you? Uh, well, you can find us at uh, geekpod.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Blueberry, Blackberry. I don't know what it's called. Um, anywhere you, you basically get your um, your podcast from. Uh, GeekPod is basically a couple of middle-aged guys talking about comics, movies, TV shows. Um, you know, uh, we, we like to say, you know, we're, we're, we may not be family-friendly, but we are friendly. So, you know, be aware. And, uh, of course, anything you listen to is going to be a few months old because we haven't recorded anything in a while. But hopefully that will change at some point in the near future. Uh, we are always happy to welcome new people to the GeekPod family. And there will be a link in the show notes for GeekPod, so you just have to click on there. All right, fantastic. Well, it has been really nice talking to you, Al. You too, Huth. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. You are very welcome. And uh, hey, you ever need anyone, let me know. I'm always available. I'm not doing much, really. Nothing at all, ever. (laughs) (laughs) The Swamp, more than merely a place. It is a churning, seething, bubbling bed of life, of which you are a part. Once you were a man, a chemist named Ted Salas, until one little experiment went somewhat awry. And you changed. The serum that was to have made you a super soldier, combined with the strange forces in the swamp, to make you over into this, a shambling, mindless mockery of your former humanity. The macabre man-thing. Man-Thing was created in the early 1970s to capitalize on the growing monster craze, but under writer Steve Gerber it became something quite different. Experimental, surreal, and very, very weird. It was something I loved as a kid, but does it still hold up today, four decades after its initial publication? So join me, Paul Matthew Carr, as I attempt to make sense of this cult classic and analyze each issue, putting it in the context of the time it was written and comparing it to the standards of today. And maybe you, too, can come to love the world's second most famous swamp-based comic book character as much as I do. The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast, a twice-monthly dive into the bizarre. Well, all right. It was I, uh, fascinating. This this is an interesting journey, and I'm uh, looking forward to Marvel 2-in-1 and, you know, seeing how the rest of this epic nonsense goes down. And don't worry, John, there's a reason for you to be there. <laughs> I'll be sure to make sure to wear my orange skin again. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go away, any, um, Brian, you start first. If you have anything you want to tell people about, or at least just want to have people know what they want to, if you want to let them follow you. Um, you can follow me uh, at 
Kid Chiron, K-I-D-C-H-Y-R-O-N, on Twitter. That's pretty much my only online presence these days. And um, I will. only thing I will say is that uh, I want you all, you two and everyone listening, to appreciate. Um, as everyone who's listened to this podcast ongoing knows, I'm a big professional wrestling fan, uh, specifically Japanese professional wrestling. And right now, as we record this, uh, we are in the middle of New Japan Pro Wrestling's annual G1 Climax Tournament. It's a month long, and it's about 19 full two- to three-hour shows over the course of one calendar month. It is awesome. It is what we fans call Wrestling Christmas. It is consuming my brain, and yet despite the fact that this time of year is that intense on that fandom for me i made the time to read this comic and podcast with you guys because i love you all that much so that is all that i wanted to uh, impress upon y'all other than that like i said just follow me on twitter at kid chiron i tweet about fun stuff including comics and wrestling and music and stuff now not because i want to stereotype but it's because i want to understand this is not samo wrestling this is other various kinds of wrestling this is the same Generally speaking, the same product that the WWE has purveyed for decades, but way, way, way better. The WWE is clown show compared to this stuff, but it's the same. <laughs> but it is, yes, it is two men in tights um, pretending to beat the crap out of each other for the enjoyment of a raucous screaming audience. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. All right, well, John. I am. I am on Twitter. Um, John reads comics. There is no H in John reads comics. Um, <laughs> you can follow me. I mostly post comics that I'm reading or, or panels in comics that I'm reading. Um, but I like to do all of, you know, a lot of my nerdy presence is there. My Facebook presence is mostly family and social stuff. Um, <clears throat> I do a lot of stuff on Twitter though. I have a lot of things going, uh, including my various podcasts, make ours Marvel, uh, with no H in make ours or Marvel. Uh, that is my weekly Silver Age Marvel podcast where Michael Kaiser and I started the Fantastic Four number one and are going through everything in the Marvel Universe proper from the 1960s. So um, as this comes out, we are nearing the end of 1964. The Silver Age comics lineup is pretty much as it's going to be for you know, a couple of years at least. And uh, we're having a fun time with Daredevil, X-Men, Avengers, Torch, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, of course, the Fantastic Four, Thor, Iron Man, Giant Man, the Wasp, and Hulk. Um, so that's all good stuff. I also have my 90s Image podcast. Yes, there is a podcast that is wholly devoted to 1990s Image comics because that was my aesthetic growing up. And um, that is at All the Pouches and image comics podcast on Twitter at all the pouches. And I'm kind of doing the same project going through all the various image titles. It's mostly me. Um, and I'm getting towards the end of 1993. I don't think the death mate has ended yet, but it will be ending soon. At least that's what the comics guys keep telling me. Um, <laughs> then I have my, Oh, what is it? What else do I do? I'm growing a podcast. It's not quite out yet as of this recording, but because Al always does things way in advance, it might be out by the time you're listening. This, that this is the end of the year. 
Okay, so return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, where I'm talking about all the Transformers UK comics and the cartoons that came out at the same time from the 1980s. So as of this recording, I don't have a website yet, but that is also on Twitter, like everything else, at TFUK Podcast. I tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda, and there's no H in any of that. Just, just. <laughs> John has problems with H's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we did that. We did that commentary about all the comics H's, and I just figured I didn't need to go after that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Good stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for this time. Next episode, the conclusion, Marvel Two and One Annual Two, and we will mm-hmm. see what happens to Thanos there. Woohoo! I predict right. defeat. That'll definitely be feet. <laughs> it's not a Lightfield comic. There'll be a lot of feet. Hey, now. Hey, a lot of people have problems with feet. It wasn't the only one. Yes. But it was an easy, a little hanging fruit. It was easy to do. All right. We'll see you guys all next time. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. awesome okay thank you that that was super fun guys i enjoyed it a lot looking forward to doing the next time but i do have to bounce so that's fine i thought we were doing both tonight (laughs) we say (laughs) (laughs) i said i thought we were doing it both tonight (laughs) i believe we've had this conversation sir (laughs) we got on here three hours ago i am ready to go (laughs) yeah time to go i got it this is not gonna be one of your old spiraling classic ones where people fall asleep at two in the morning right (sighs) Brian's good right. to talk to you again, bud. Yeah, yeah, no, good good talking to you, too. I'm looking forward to the next time. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon. Yep, I'll talk to you guys later. Okay, okay bye. Now. Good night. Bye. bye.